0: All right, so the chapter breaks aren't really clean. And the chapter breaks are kind of, uh, they really stand out that they were added later in the book of Hebrews. So we're not really going chapter by chapter per se, but we are in chapter four, and we are going to start at verse one today. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing this We know it's before the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Because there's a place where he mentions the temple sacrifices. So if the temple was destroyed, he would have talked about that. So we know it's before 70 A.D. We also know that it's been long enough that the church, the, the followers of Jesus are now incorporating a lot of Gentiles and a lot of Jewish people enough that he can write a letter to the Jewish background Hebrew people and that they are a separate group from not, not that they're divided, but there's enough of them that they, they can have their own letter. They can have their own thing. There's so there's enough Gentile believers that they could have a le- you could write a letter that wouldn't make as much sense to them, and that's still okay, because there's a- so many of them. Also, does that make sense? So the church is really growing. Remember, I mean, first of all, on Pentecost, three thousand people got added on one day. Remember, we talked about this in Acts. There was a a group of Gentiles that heard the gospel. On Pentecost, that traveled from Cyrene, which is northern Africa, up to Antioch. I need my map. They traveled from North Africa over to Antioch. Antioch is way up north, way up the coast from Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea. These Cyrenian Gentile Christians went to Antioch and started a church in Antioch. That was mostly Gentiles. That's the church that Barnabas and Saul, Paul, were sent out from to the rest of the world. I'm totally, I can see the map here, you guys. Like, it's right there. So, this is Hebrew Christians. Remember in Acts 15 when they had the discussion of how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? Do you need to follow all the laws of Moses? This could have been some of the fallout from that discussion. This could have been addressing some of the murmurings before Acts 15. But it is definitely addressing some of the discussion after. You know, we talk about this at work. You know how you have a meeting and everybody decides stuff. And then you have the meeting after the meeting Or you go out in the hall and you're like, okay, now here's what's really good. Okay, why did he say, oh, you're probably having the session session after the session. This is sort of, some of this stuff in Hebrews is kind of the discussion after Acts 15 when they said, look, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. And let's just reinforce this to all you guys that are Jewish and were brought up Jewish, right? Because they're still, yeah, they are still doing it. So, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Remember he talked about Moses and taking the people into the promised land, and now he's talking about entering a rest. While the promise of entering his rest, God's rest, still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, to them as all the people in the wilderness, right? The, The people being rescued out of Egypt. Good news came to us. Good news came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They heard it, but they didn't believe. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, now this is where it gets kind of weird. Because the writer is starting to mix two comparisons together at the same time. You got to know, okay, there's no clear line. (laughs) I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a quote from God when he was mad that the people weren't believing him about the promised land. When the the 12 spies went out and Joshua and Caleb were the only two and the rest said, oh, no, no, no. It's not that God didn't say, God didn't say they won't enter my promised land in this. I mean, he said that at other places. But here he said, they're not going to enter my rest. So there's something else going on that the promised land is being referred to as God's rest. So there's more to it than just the promised land. And then he says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day. Now, all of a sudden, they're talking about God's rest, about how God rested on the seventh day. Verse four, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And so now we've just made this leap from talking about Moses and people having faith in the wilderness and entering into the promised land to talking about how God rested on the seventh day. And God's rest is a thing. So I want you to think of it as a thing, okay? So if you read through Genesis 1, it goes through all the stuff that God made, and there's been a controversy since about—I um, want to say by the '50s, but it was probably in the '40s and the '30s—murmuring about is Genesis one really 24-hour days, or is it you know the the um, evolution, the Scopes Monkey Trial, and and all of that? And gosh, you know what I think. I'm gonna make an outrageous statement here. I think that whole discussion, it's not that evolution is from the devil and that seven days of creation is holy and from God. I think the controversy to fight about it is from the devil. Because then we lose focus of what it says. It says, I think five times. I was trying to count it and I was trying to get different translations going. Over the seven days, do you know what it says at least five times? That God made it and it was good. And in all of our hullabaloo of trying to make the Bible into a science book and put some numbers to the days, we've lost this whole thing that God made it and it's good. Because we're punching each other in the face about what a 24-hour day is and where did monkeys come from. God made it and it was good. It says over and over and over again. He made the sky, he made the land, he separated the water and the land and it was good. He made plants, even broccoli and yeah, all of those things that you can just pass to somebody else at Thanksgiving, who serves broccoli at Thanksgiving anyway. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Even Adam being alone and not having a helpmate is not, it doesn't say it was bad. It says it was not good. Like all you have to know is good from all of God's creation. It's just so good. And then Genesis 2: thus the heavens and the earth were finished. God completed his work. It was all done. And all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You don't see this in any other religion of the world, where the deity finishes his work ah, and just relaxes and enjoys it. You don't you don't get that from any of the Greek religions. You don't get it from Buddhism, of course. Um, and God rested. He looked at everything that was good and he rested. And the resting, that word would come to mean so many things. It means to reflect on something and admire a finished thing, right? If you've washed your car or even gone through the car wash and you get out of your car at the end and you look at it, you're like, yes, I washed that car or I paid $13 and Mike's machine washed that car. And it's clean, and that is resting. Okay? When you are at the dinner table, and Thanksgiving is over, and you're so glad you have an adjustable belt, and you make your adjustment, and you sit there, and you look at it all, and the kids are doing the dishes, you are resting. God did that. God rested and he rested of all the things that he made. Oh, what did he make? Right? He made light shine in the darkness, he made the sky and he separated the expanses, he made the earth and the water, he made the animals, he made the plants, he made the fish. All of that, by progression, on the seventh day, he made rest. He created rest. Because he wasn't resting. He had never rested before. Rest had never happened before. Think about that. Because it had never had works before. And so he creates rest. Rest. And it's good. And he's like, gosh, rest is so good. I'm just going to bless this whole day. It doesn't say any of the other days are blessed. His blessing is not on the day that he made plants. His blessing is not on the day that he made animals and people. But the day that he made rest, he said, this whole day is rest. So over time, what that meant changed a lot, right? And it's important for us to know that when we talk about the Sabbath rest, we are not under the law of Moses. Because Jesus has done in us everything that the law of Moses could not do. Okay? So under the law of Moses, there is a Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then all the Jewish people rebelled against God and didn't believe and they got hauled off to Babylon in the exile and the, the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees. They said, we need to write down what it means to follow the Sabbath and keep it holy because we haven't done it. And so I want to read to you the 13 categories of activities that count as work that you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Are you Ready? Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, and all God's people said, amen. Sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, ladies, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping. This is not a space reference. Warping is what you do to yarn before you weave it. Don't do that. Weaving, unraveling, building and demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning. Are you counting? Do you know how many more we have? Tanning, smoothing, and marking. Those aren't the laws. Those are the 39 categories That all of the laws fall under of all of the stuff that you cannot do under the Sabbath. This is what the Pharisees had in mind when Jesus would break the Sabbath. Think about how many times Jesus was mixing or untying or unleashing. He did a lot of these things. He broke a lot of these laws So what I really want to get is, okay, so what is a Sabbath? What does it mean to obey the Sabbath and keep it holy? Well, first of all, that's one of the Ten Commandments, and we're not bound by those anymore, which is controversial to say. But you're free from the law, and you're under grace. And so what does it mean to have a Sabbath rest? Because Hebrews is talking about entering God's rest. So it must not be talking about the 39 law categories of laws of the Sabbath, right? Cause he's talking to people that are free from the law. Here's what Jesus said about it. This is in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and, And I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So they had some sayings about a yoke. And you would have a yoke, and you would have oxen. And it was this big wooden padded thing that you have ropes on it. And you would stick an ox, an ox's head through it and secure them to it. And then they could pull a plow or they could pull a wagon. And if you had a really well-trained oxen, just this dude, he's been faithful for years. He's not going to be a stake for another three or four years at least. He is just really good at pulling this plow. And then you got a little newbie down here that just scampers all over and runs around and you can't even run in a straight line. Well, you stick that little crazy grasshopper oxen that's all over the place on the same yoke as Old Faithful over here. And now all of a sudden, the little spastic hyperactive oxen can't run around because he's yoked to the Big Daddy Faithful oxen, right? But Little Oxen is not tough enough to pull this big old plow. But the big daddy oxen is strong enough to pull the plow and has learned. And so you strap these two oxen together and they look cattywampus and lopsided, right? But they do a great job. And what happens after about you know several months, several seasons, this little guy learns how to pull a plow and how to not run all over the place. Is he pulling any of the weight at all? maybe very little but the big daddy over here is the one that's pulling that plow while well, this guy learns so they would use that same example to ask you know people say where'd you go to college where'd you go to school where'd you learn how to do that and you might say i'm under the yoke of jim carnahan and if i said i'm under the yoke of jim carnahan then they know That Jim Carnahan was the big daddy ox, and I was the little ox, and I learned how to do things the way he does them. Does that make sense? So we've had this with, with guitar lessons where people have learned how to play guitar like this person learns how to play guitar. You learn how to drive, right? Driver's ed, your driver's ed teacher thinks yellow means stop, and another driver's ed teacher thinks yellow means go. You're under the yoke of that person. So when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Get get yoked up with Jesus. Get yoked up with Jesus and learn from him. He is gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, "I let me pull this plow for you. Walk along beside me. Do you know how much thinking that little ox has to do? Close to zero. The big ox is going to win. Like whatever direction they want to go, that little ox has no say. (laughs) He could just be a stick in the mud and cause trouble. But if he just follows that big ox, His yoke is easy. That big ox can pull the plow. His burden is light. He is doing it for him. So in Hebrews, when he says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day. In this way, God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, God is resting right now from his works. But he is, Jesus is the big ox that we can yoke ourselves with and give rest to our souls. He will give rest to our souls. All the things that we worry about, all of the things that we we fret about, we might lie awake at night and be, what's going to happen to this? And how's this going to turn out? And Jesus is this big old ox. And he's like, dude, it is nighttime. It's the time for sleep. Look at me. I'm resting. I've been resting for 4,000 years. Oh, I gave some things away, didn't I? Just now when I said 4,000 years. Hebrews 4, 5. Again, in this passage, he said, they will not enter my rest. Who are they that won't enter his rest? The people that don't have faith in him. People that don't believe him. Same people that Jesus is talking to. Come to me. The people that don't come to him don't enter his rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he tells us today, saying through David so long afterwards, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Whoa. So it's not too late. It's not too late for any one of us. We were at a funeral yesterday and, uh, I don't know how old the guy was at the funeral. Was he in his seventies? There were people there. There were his friends that were in their seventies and the preacher presented the gospel As if there were people in the crowd that did not believe. And I was praying and I was thinking, gosh, Lord, what if here in their 70s, somebody gets saved today? It is not too late today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It might not just be about salvation. It might be about something that God is calling you to let go of. There might be something that God is asking you to forgive somebody that you can't even talk to. You can't go to their face and forgive them. But in your heart, you need to forgive them. And today, God is asking you to do it. And he's saying, don't harden your hearts. Give in to the Lord. Verse eight, if Joshua had given them rest. OK, so if the promised land would have been rest, if Joshua would have given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In Psalms, that about someday we're going to enter his rest. So the promised land wasn't rest. It was good. It was awesome. It's a great symbol for a lot of things, and it was a real place and it still exists today. But the promised land wasn't God's rest that he promised. There was something else coming. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall but the same sort of disobedience. What was the disobedience in the wilderness? Was it breaking the law? I mean, sometimes. But that's not what prevented them from entering his rest. Because he had sacrifices set up for when they break the law. Right? So, when you break the law, here's what you sacrifice. When you commit this sin, here's what you sacrifice. When you do this thing, here's how you make atonement for it. All of that assumes that if you do those things, you'll enter the promised land. They didn't enter the promised land back to Joshua and Caleb because they did not believe. They did not have faith in God. And it is the same here. So let us strive to enter that rest. Are we going to strive to enter that rest by doing a whole bunch of works of the law? No, because that's not what kept anybody out. Doing wrong and doing good is not what keeps people out of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. It's believing. Take Jesus' yoke upon you. Believing in Jesus. Walking along with Jesus is what helps you enter. It's what is the deciding factor, right? Let us strive to enter that rest. Our striving isn't doing a whole bunch of works and we got to buy more cans of corn and we're going to help more little ladies across the street. No, it's just faith. Oh, right now I'm struggling, right? I mean, this will happen to you this week. I'm acting this way because I am not believing that God cares about me and is working in my life. And so I'm going to do this thing on my own to solve my problem in my flesh. That's unbelief. Let us strive to have faith, be faithful. Then there's this awesome line, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's super easy right now. To be like, yes, he's talking about the Bible. But that's not what he's talking about. Okay, so we're going to get a little weird here for a bit. I just noticed this says a holy Bible. When my wife worked at the vineyard, people would come in wanting to buy a holy Bible. And there were Bibles that just said Bible on the front. And they said, no, I don't want that. I want a holy Bible. Confusion, right? So let's go to John chapter one, verse one. And let's talk about the word of God. That's living and active. The word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Okay, hold hold on, hold on. In the beginning was the word. This was not there at Genesis 1-1. Oh, what? There are events in this that happened 2,000 years after Genesis 1-1. Okay? So when it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we are not talking about the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, referring to the Word, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Every single thing that got created. So we talked about Genesis, and how everything God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created light. It was good. The word was a part of that. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light, which is the life of men, life of people, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Day one of Genesis, what did God make? Light. Here he is. He is there at the beginning of creation, the light of men. Then almost in contrast, verse 6 of John 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, we've been talking about the word, but now let me tell you about a man Sent from John. So, this thing that we were talking about, this word, isn't a man alone. He's not just a man. But there was just a man whose name was John, and he was sent from God. And he came as a witness to bear witness about what? About the light, the word, this thing. So, in Hebrews, when it says the word of God is living and active. It's not talking about the Bible. And I know I, I even say it sometimes too. The Bible is living and active. The word is living and active. It's not. I want to qualify it even more and say it's not just the Bible. It's Jesus. And it's, it's Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that work of the Holy Spirit might come from somebody else working through them to talk to you the work of the holy spirit might come through the scriptures might come from the bible you reading the bible and when 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 verses when words in the bible speak to you and move you it is not the power of that font or the pulp of the paper that it was printed on or where that bible came from it's the holy spirit So the word of God is living and active. Jesus, God, the father, the Holy Spirit is living and active. Sharper than a two edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit shows you things about you that you did not know. Sometimes shows you things about other people that they didn't know. And that can be fun or terrible. <laughs> and then finally, verse 13: No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So here we are, we want to enter his rest, and it is so easy, you guys, to follow all the 39 categories of laws and to check stuff off and to smile every day when I come into church. And it just boom, 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 boom. And I'm just this holy dude. But none of you are the one that I have to give an account to. I am not the one that any of you need to give an account to. We don't have to give an account to our neighbors. Who in our neighborhood, our neighbors are so close to us, we can smell what they cook for dinner. (laughs) Your neighbors... You know, how many times have your neighbors seen you in your pajamas? They know you, right? You know what? They are not your judge, they are not your redeemer. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He loves us so much. And He wants us to know that as we are here to give an account to only Him, as at the end of our lives we will stand before Him, there we are, yoked with Him, to say, you know what, I don't even know how to pull a yoke. I don't know how this works. I don't even know how to live life. I don't know how to respond to any person. But Jesus, you do. And I'm going to let your life work through me and live in me. And, you know, here I am in this situation. Jesus, what are you doing right now in this situation? How are you discipling me right now and growing me right now? I don't want to have a sinful, unbelieving heart. I don't want to harden my heart. I want to be open right now to how you're discipling me and how you're yoking me along, pulling this plow that just got thrown at us. How do you want to do it, Jesus? And he helps us and he does it. That's his rest. That is, that is his rest. It's, it's, this happened a million times. Uh, my kids are old enough now I can reveal the secret. You know, we're cleaning up after the farm stand. We pick up this heavy table and you tell one of the kids, grab the middle of that. And the kid is not strong. They're a little bitty four-year-old. And they grab the side of that table and you're carrying the table and another guy's carrying the table and that kid's got their hand on it. That's our rest. God created everything. He's done it all and he's working among all of us. And he asks us, put your hand up here and rest. Walk along with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you were faithful so that we can follow you, that you did all of the work so that we can lean on your great works and that you did the saving so that we can just submit and be yoked along with you and watch your salvation be worked out all over the world. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. I pray that we would be able to enter your rest. And that we would have have long-standing faith to see it and to do it. We praise you, Lord. Amen.